Hello and welcome to the January 8th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. This is Mr. Joe, it's my neighborhood, it's my life, and it's our podcast journey. So sit back and relax. We're going to talk tonight about Suicide Prevention 101. evening uh, it's only been a couple of days so I'm trying to keep my word I am back and I'm really really excited to be back and I'm excited to see the number of people that are listening to this podcast and um, I have to definitely thank uh, Bipolar Bob because he made mention of me in his last podcast um, and he had told me uh, through an email exchange that he was going to do that and it's just so awesome that he did so and I, and I can almost guarantee that that's probably the reason that I got a couple of more listeners and I'm really really excited about that so I'm glad that you joined me tonight uh, I want to give you a quick update on how I'm feeling I'm still a little bit sick I don't know if you could tell in my voice I have a cold and I have this nasty cough that seems to come only during the nighttime hours and I don't understand why but can't seem to get rid of it um, not doing a whole lot to help myself either. Uh, I, I talked to you guys a little bit about the vitamins last time, and I have not resumed taking vitamins. I completely stopped taking them. And I have to wonder if, you know, I have, a, I have this weird habit of looking everything up on Google, and I'm sure a lot of you also do that as well. Um, and it's, it's not the best thing to do. It really isn't. You shouldn't always be looking things up on Google because you, now everybody is an individual. We all have different feelings and different um, reactions to different medications and different uh, things that we do and try. Um, so, you know, you, you look things up on Google, you're bound to find something that's going to match what your brain is looking for. Um, so I highly advise doing the best that you can not to look things up on Google if you're looking for a certain answer um, that might sway you in a, in a negative way. Let's put it that way. Um, but, you know, I, I am on the Lamictal, and uh, I did up my dose of the Lamictal, and I've been following, you know, the, the doctor's orders in the sense where uh, every week, uh, we go up 25 milligrams, and I am still on a very low dose. Um, I have not reached that therapeutic level yet, and I don't know if I'm going to reach that therapeutic level because right now I, I feel pretty stable, I have to say. Um, so, you know, but I also don't want to stay on this dose in fear that, you know, possibly one of those episodes might come along again. And um, it, it's amazing because... Uh, you know, I had a, a an episode, oh, my goodness, uh, just a couple of days ago, and I actually suffered a pretty bad injury to my head um, in which I engaged in some self-injurious behavior um, in reaction to um, a little scuffle that I had with my wife, um, completely my fault again, which kind of indicates to me that I'm nowhere near where I need to be in terms of the lamictal and, and my mood stabilization because, you know, when I sit back and think about how I reacted and how I responded, um, you know, impulsivity, manic-like, um, angry, um, 
extremely angry. Uh, and it all started because I wasn't feeling well. And, and my wife, you know, I am divorced, and, and we mentioned that in the first podcast. I introduced my children and, and uh, my three children, I believe, in my second podcast. Um, but I told you a little bit about my divorce in the first podcast, or at least I told you that I'm remarried. And my wife is just such an amazing woman. I mean, she really, she stands by my side, very, very different from my first wife, who um, wanted absolutely nothing to do with my mental illness. And I can't blame her, to be honest with you. Um, and you're probably not going to, you're not going to blame her either after you get through this episode. Um, we're calling this Suicide Prevention 101. I felt very strange calling it Suicide 101, and I'll get to my disclaimer in a minute. Uh, but my wife, she was so concerned about how uh, my health has been physically that it was my weekend with the children. And, you know, my ex-wife and I have driving arrangements, and she's supposed to drive one way, and I'm supposed to drive another way. And for those of you who are uh, in a divorce or a separation and you have joint custody... You know, it's very important that uh, whatever agreement you have drawn up with your ex, it's a good idea to follow the rules. I am a person who, you know, follows the rules, but I also go above and beyond when it comes to my children. And anything that has to do with my children, you know, I want to do, do, and do. And a lot of times that will, that will also mean that I allow my ex-wife to walk all over me. So, um... We had some bad weather here in Mr. Joe's neighborhood uh, the past week or so. Um, and, you know, my ex-wife was supposed to drive the children here, and um, I volunteered to do both ways, and my wife here got a little angry with me. Not, not because I volunteered, but because I really should not have been driving. I'm stabilizing on medication. At the same time, I'm not feeling well. So, you know, all she did was ask me to, you know, just follow the rules. And... I got so angry, and you know, this is something, if you are wondering whether or not you're bipolar or not, um, for those of you who have not been diagnosed, clinically diagnosed yet, um, or those of you who are bipolar, whether it be bipolar 1, bipolar 2, rapid cycling, for those of you who are not medicated, one of the things that you'll start to realize is that you don't even know when you're acting a certain way and how irrational you can be. Um, actually, I, I read something on Twitter tonight that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you guys next time around. Um, I'm not going to stop the podcast and get it now, but it's a wonderful, wonderful description. There's somebody by the name of Julie Fast on Twitter, um, and she talks about how when we are in our manic and depressive stages... Our thought process is so skewed that we just don't understand or recognize some of the actions that we take. And this was an example of it. And I overreacted. Uh, my wife just wanted me to rest and stay home. And I took it as she didn't want my children here. And she, she's like a mom to my children, so it's just ridiculous that I would even feel that way. So I overreacted, and I acted like a complete animal. Um, and I was able to pull it together, and my wife and I, we kind of re relaxed in bed. We were watching, we were actually watching Scandal, and I'm not a fan of that show at all, but for some reason she got me into it again. Um, and, you know, my son, my, my little uh, 
uh, Mickey, who is eight months old now, he was sleeping. And now, you know, I had just gone through this major episode in which I will tell you right now, and for those of you who are unaware how, how horrible a manic episode can be when you act irritable and irrational and angry, you know, um, I stormed out driving in a car, driving around with nowhere to go, threatening her that I'm going to, um, you know, text her mom and text her dad and, you know, for you know, just get people involved that shouldn't be involved. And, you know, we, we become very mean and, and, and angry and we don't realize our actions. But nevertheless, she was able to coach me through it because she has so much patience with me at this point. She was able to coach me through it and she brought me back and she calmed me down and we were laying in bed with Mickey and Mickey was sleeping and um, my ex-wife had called me and um, she heard my voice over the phone and she had asked me whether or not I was really up to seeing the children and I said absolutely you know I'm not contagious I want to see my kids and we hung up the phone and my wife said, you know, it sounded as if, like, you had a little bit of an out there. And I said, I don't want an out. She goes, I know you don't want an out. She goes, but you're not well. I want you to take care of yourself. And, you know, now, listen, there was no way in the world that any of, anybody should have been driving in Mr. Joe's neighborhood this weekend. So, um, you know, my wife had all good intentions, but once again, I took it as a, as a means of her telling me that she did not want my children around. And it's a completely irrational way to think. And I have to tell you, this time, you know, I, I, I screamed, I yelled, I cursed my little baby Mickey. He saw this behavior. I ended up going into my laundry room. And um, I sat down on the floor, and I was hysterical crying. And, you know, if you, if you suffer from bipolar mixed episodes which is is really what my bipolar is i've come to that conclusion now because each and every episode that i have i've, I've determined and i have been tracking believe it or not i'm using this wonderful app that is actually available on itunes and also on android and i'm going to get to it it's called emoods and it's a free app and it allows you to track your moods go ahead and download it if you get a chance but in tracking my moods, what I've noticed is I am, without a doubt, rapid cycling bipolar. Um, and it, it seems to happen every two weeks. And unfortunately, all of my episodes are mixed. And what that means typically is I am in an extremely manic state of mind, but at the same time, I am also suffering from severe depression. So I will be extremely irate, irritable. Now, don't forget, before this all happens, I get that burst of energy, and I'm happy. I'm extremely happy. But that does not last long, and I've described that to you. Um, and, you know, then I become irritable, and then, unfortunately, the depression kicks in as well. And for those of you who suffer along with me with this horrific, horrific version, so to speak, of rapid cycling bipolar disorder... Um, I found myself sitting down in the laundry room, hysterical crying, and I smashed my head up against the wall as hard as I could, and I'm, you know, I'm sitting here with a bump on my head now. 
Um, and this was just a few short days ago, so I am certainly not stable at all. And uh, if you are listening to Bipolar Bob's podcast, and uh, you know, I don't want to bring him up too much. I, I absolutely love the man. I adore him. He is, he is just an absolute staple in my life, and I have mentioned that before. Um, his podcasts are very different from mine because this is a man who has found himself on the right doses and the right combination of medication where I am still struggling to find exactly what I need to be on. Now, I am clean and sober for a long time. We've discussed that, so that's wonderful. I have many, many years of sobriety, but I have many, many years of not being medicated also. And I notice as you get older, the bipolar gets worse. And I've noticed that, that that has happened as I've gotten older, and um, that without medication, you just can't, you just cannot manage bipolar disorder. You just can't, no matter what, no matter what you do. Um, and, and for those of you who do not think about the consequences, like I clearly didn't think about the consequences, you know, you have a bump on your head, people are going to ask you what happened. So now I find myself having to go back to work, walk around telling people that I slipped on the ice and I banged my head into the door. You know, my wife had to lie to my mother-in-law. So, you know, these are the, you know, guys, I do my podcasts when I'm stable. You're always going to hear me in a stable mood. Um, for the most part, either that or manic. If I was in a depressive mode, you probably would not hear me. Um, again, the good news is I am getting to a point now where I am stabilized, but the difference between bipolar Bob and I is I'm still working on it. I, I really am. I'm still working on it, and um, that's the journey that we're going to take together because uh, we have to figure it out together, and, and I'm hoping that I could talk some sense into the people out there that are suffering from bipolar disorder and are not medicated and are still using drugs to, to manage their moods, um, you know, because it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. I tried for years, for a long, long time, and it just doesn't work. Um, and, you know, the stress of my... Of, we all have stress. And as a father of three children, somebody who just recently went through a divorce and got remarried and bought a new home, and had a, had a new baby. You know, Mickey is eight months old now, and I have two other children, and i got to tell you, all right, I, I just got to tell you, my daughter, Sarah Lee, 14-year-old daughter, for those of you who have got a teenage girl living with you, <laughs> or you're raising a teenage daughter, she is a piece of work. The girl doesn't want to hear anything there is nothing that you could tell her. She's right about everything. You know, she doesn't want to take your advice. And, you know, I, I know we were all young once also. We, we all acted in a way where, you know, our parents would tell us what was good for us. And we all heard from our parents, anything that you've done, I've done before. Um, and we know that to be true. But my daughter just doesn't want to hear it. And then I got um, Junior, I mean, who is, you know, suffering from ulcerative colitis and the Crohn's disease who is 100% in remission if, if that's even possible I don't know if that's 
even a word when it comes to autoimmune diseases. I will tell you, he's living symptomatic free for the last two years or so. Um, you know, he has to deal with this, this attitude from my 14-year-old. I mean, as a matter of fact, he even texted me because they're back home with mom now, my ex-wife, and he texted me about 6.30 this morning, and he said, Dad, I couldn't even sleep because they're fighting already. So, you know, all she does is fight with my ex-wife, and then my ex-wife will text me, and she'll reach out to me for some advice because, you know, I am a, I am a behavioralist, and, uh, you know, I, I am an expert when it comes to behaviors. That is one of my um, many job titles that I have. Uh, I am a behavior analyst, and I told you that I would not reveal my actual... Um, I guess my career, my living, so to speak. But one of the things that I do is I am a behaviorist. So my ex-wife will oftentimes reach out and ask me what she is to do. And I got to tell you, I don't know. I don't know what to do. What I think she should do, and I will back her up, is I think this, this girl should be punished in every way imaginable and have every single thing taken away from her phone, computer, you know, it's amazing. Notice how I, I just name electronics because that's what our entire world is centered around today. You know, none, none of the kids are going outside anymore. And I gave her an idea the other day. She said, Dad, you know, I'm going out with my friends. What should I do? I said, why don't you go bowling? She said, bowling? I said, yeah, bowling. She goes, that's actually a good idea. And she ended up doing it. Um, but it was almost like she couldn't even think of it on her own because all they do is worry about computers it's, it's just crazy and, and cell phones um, so I, I just wanted to give you that quick update on my family you know junior is almost walking now believe it or not I walked at a very young age I was seven and a half months old I actually have living proof of that my parents have uh, me on eight millimeter film for those of you who aren't aware of what that is that's even before VCRs everybody um, so I'm on eight millimeter film walking at seven and a half months old um, Junior walked at a uh, little over seven and a half months old right before he turned eight months old. And now Mickey is eight months old, and he's just about there. And Sarah Lee, she, were, she walked around nine months old. So all three children are walking at a very young age. Um, my little guy, Mickey, who's eight months old, he is still suffering from some pretty severe acid reflux, but he's on his medication, and it seems to be working well. Um, so that's a good thing. Um, and that's that. I just wanted to update you on that and, you know, how I'm feeling. I feel great right now, but i got to tell you, a couple of days ago, again, for somebody who's smashing their head into a wall, fighting with their wife over basically nothing, you know, and this woman, she, she's being patient with me because she knows that I'm doing the right thing. If I was not, okay, and I'm not... You know, the fighting is not directed necessarily at her. This is the difference now. Whereas I used to treat her like real garbage. As I'm stabilizing and I'm and I'm my manic episodes start, um, I'm more screaming at the air, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, not necessarily directly at her. Um, not that it makes it that much better, especially when you have an eight-month-old um, who is watching this go on. You know, it's not good because my other two children, um, they saw some horrible things in their lifetime. They really did. 
we're actually going to talk about a few of those things tonight. Um, I, I have called this uh, podcast Suicide Prevention 101. Um, I was actually going to name it Suicide 101, and I, I felt a little strange doing that. I don't want to just call it that. I want to give it a positive spin. Um, and I need to mention this before I say anything else. Uh, you know, suicide is an extremely, extremely sensitive subject. And um, there will never be a time where I will discuss with you um, any kind of ideas that might have gone through my head, although I am going to discuss um, one thing about suicide today in terms of um, an attempt that was made by myself uh, many, many years ago and basically was the start of my recognition of this disorder, um, but we'll get to that in a little while. Um, other than this podcast, we are never going to talk about suicide in terms of different kinds of acts of suicide. I don't ever want to trigger anybody. I don't ever want anybody to think of ways to commit suicide. Um, it's just not okay. Uh, what I will tell you is that if you are um, in a depressed state of mind where suicide has crossed your mind, or if you're even thinking about suicide, believe it or not, a very helpful tool is actually the suicide hotline. Um, they have helped me many, many times in the past. Um, they're wonderful to talk to. And, uh, you know, when a lot of times when we're in our manic, or with me, my mixed episodes, um, that's really when it happens to me, where I become suicidal in the sense where I have um, these thoughts. And in the past, it has helped me tremendously to reach out to the suicide hotline and they're really, really wonderful and they kind of talk you out of it or talk you down, so to speak. Uh, and I, I really apologize. I had to pause the podcast because my cough is really bad at night and I do not want to cough into the podcast. So I hit pause uh, just now and I apologize. But anyway, the suicide hotline is a wonderful tool and it will talk you down. So I want you to keep that in mind. Now, we talked a little bit about my episode the other day. I have a piece of paper in front of me right now. And it's extremely, extremely disturbing. Um, it is dated 12-3-2017. And what I have in my in my possession right here was the very last episode that I had in which it was a mixed state episode, mixed, uh, you know, uh, manic and depression all in one, and I actually wrote a suicide note while I was going through this horrible, horrible um, mixed episode back in uh, December, which was not too long ago. I mean, it was a little over a month ago. Um, so I'm actually going to read it to you. And um, again, you know, disclaimer, I don't want anybody to think of any, you know, there are no, there's nothing about me, uh, any kind of actions and what I, uh, any kind of plans in this note. I've read it over, um, but it is very disturbing. And I want you to see, or at least hear, you can't see, uh, I want you to hear what goes on in the mind of somebody. And, you, you know, you're listening to me right now and I'm stable and you're saying he, he, he sounds good. 
he's he's fun to listen to, and I know that I am. <laughs> I know I, you know, and I don't mean that in a cocky way. I mean that in a way that I know that I have knowledge about the subject, and I know that I've spoken in public so many thousands of times, and I've always gotten good feedback, so that I know that I am enjoyable to listen to. Um, but it's amazing that somebody who could be this normal while you hit the play button on your podcast player or whatever app you're using can be so lost and so disheveled and, and it wasn't so long ago that I felt this way and uh, I don't really remember writing it and I did save this so I could bring it to my doctor okay um, but uh, here we go and I'm going to refer to my and, and you'll notice that when I read this letter I, I put a lot of blame and we do that a lot guys um, I don't do it when I'm out of my mixed states you know um, I, I realize that I, I'm the one to blame. But, you know, when we are going through mainly uh, our manic episodes, a lot of times we are blaming and blaming and blaming. And you'll notice that even in this letter, I am actually blaming my wife for certain ways that I feel. Um, so I'm going to call her wife in this note because I do refer to her as my um I, I use her name in here. So I'm going to refer to her as wife. So it's going to sound a little weird when I say that, but other than that, it's pretty intense. So, 12-3-2017. I am not sure where to begin. However, I do know that it has finally come to an end. I know this may seem selfish, but I promise that this is the most pain I've ever been in in all of my life. It's also the hardest decision I've ever had to make. I would like to tell you why. One, because I love my wife more than anything in this world. However, I also know that I can never be the man she wants me to be, which also leads me to believe that I will never be the father that my beautiful children deserve to have. While I know that my mental illness has completely taken over, I will now finally be free from all the pain I not only feel each day, but more importantly, the tremendous amount of pain I have caused to the ones that I love. I am so very sorry for all that I've put you through, but you will never have to be burdened with my problems again. Please promise me two things. You will all try to remember the good in me. I never meant to hurt anyone. You will never have to suffer because of my actions ever again. Secondly, please, please, please make sure my babies are okay. The very first signs you see of any of this, you can and must help. Please don't allow my children to suffer the way that I do. Pay attention to them. Pay attention to every single complaint and don't take any of it lightly. Had someone believed me or actually listened, I would still be here today. So please, get Sarah Lee to a doctor immediately. Watch my first son also. He holds emotions in sometimes, and it won't be easy to detect in him. As for my baby boy, Mickey, I only watched you grow for seven short months, but they were the best months of my entire life. I am thinking of you, wife, 
right downstairs, and I am so scared. I wish Mommy would come hug me, and maybe I could stop. But I know that no one loves me anymore. But I do love you all very much. Junior, my beautiful son, Sarah Lee, my firstborn, you will be better and stronger than Daddy. And Mickey, my precious little Mickey, you make sure Mommy watches over you at all times. Insist on it. People made me promises that they would never allow me to get to this point. Ironically, that person is one floor below me. With you, Mickey. I'm here alone, and I'm so very scared. Mommy promised she would never let this happen. I needed a partner to watch me and help me. I pray she does it for you, my baby boy. Signed, Mr. Joe. I mean, that is deep, okay? And that was that was a little over a month ago. A little over a month ago. So, you know, um, I, I had to share that with you. Um, and it's 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 very rare that I get in that state of mind. I have to tell you where I get to that point. Um, I can recall uh, a couple other times in life. Um, specific times, one in which I was coming off Cymbalta. Um, I was weaning myself off Cymbalta without the guidance of a doctor. Took it upon myself, decided to come off medication, and I did it in a way where I did it too quickly, didn't wean myself off properly, and I went into an instant manic phase, um, and I was suicidal at that point in time. But, you know, how do we prevent suicide, really? It's, it's actually rather simple, believe it or not. You take your medication. You take your medication. You go to your doctor. You stay away from the drugs, the alcohol, the self-medicating, the marijuana, the opiates, the cocaine. They don't work. doesn't work. Doesn't doesn't... You're not able to manage your mood unless you think... Unless you think that you could live my life the way that I live my life and do what I did, if you want to end up where I ended up, by all means, what you could do is you can be, let's see, the age of, you guys got to do the math for me, okay? It was 2005. 2005, um, you know, Somehow, some way, I, I reached for, or at least I was introduced by my ex-wife. She introduced me to cocaine. And I've mentioned to you before that I was never a cocaine user, um, at least in my college years. And uh, I'm not going to do the math now, guys. I can't. It'll, it'll distract me too much. Um, but you do the math. I'm 42 years old, so back in 2005, um, my ex-wife had introduced me to cocaine. And um, I, I tried it, and instantaneously, upon trying it the first time, I absolutely loved it. And I said this in my first podcast, that um, I started to get extremely concerned because I never really knew, um, even though I was a heavy drinker, um, heavy marijuana user, uh, I never viewed those things as real dangerous drugs. And don't get me wrong, they are. 
alcohol is an extremely dangerous drug. Um, it was it was it was the gateway to everything for me. Um, but you know, cocaine that was the hardcore drug, and I and I always said to myself, you know, if I try it and I like it, which I did, I loved it. I'll be able to stop. It's not a big deal. And and this is how, for those of you who may be struggling with substance abuse, the feeling that I started to get after I had done cocaine the first time, and this is how you know you're becoming an addict, and I, I interrupted myself. I told you, the first podcast, I believe, or Cocaine 101, I might have told you guys that I went out and I actually bought a book because I was trying to discover whether or not I was an addict. And I remember in the book they had talked about the different types of cocaine users. They had labeled them as, uh, they had different names for the way that people in, in, indulge in cocaine. And one of the names was a nipper. And what a nipper was, was somebody who was able to just, you know, buy, a buy let's say, a, a gram of cocaine and just kind of dabble in it throughout the day. You know, a little little bump here, a little bump there. That wasn't me. Couldn't do that. Um, I wanted so desperately to become a nipper because I thought that if I would be able to become a nipper, then I would be able to control my addiction. But that was not me. What The person that I was, and, you know, this is how you can certainly um, tell yourself that you are an addict, is that you finish whatever you're using and then you're instantaneously ready to buy more and you're looking for more and with me what I remember back to was saying to myself um, and it's, it's interesting because my drug dealer at the time I had told him how I was feeling and he actually cut me off after this for a while and I had to find somebody else I told him that I felt and I remember saying these exact words I said DB, that's what I used to call him, okay, Danny Buds, said, Danny Buds, I said, I feel like I can't even walk to my mailbox any longer without being on cocaine. Nothing is fun anymore. I want to go to my mailbox and get my mail on cocaine. And if I don't do a, a line or a bump before I walk to my mailbox, I'm not satisfied. It's a boring trip to my mailbox. That's how you know you're an addict. Okay, and um, ironically, believe it or not, I only abused cocaine, and I say only because there are people that abuse that drug for years and years on end. I only abused cocaine for a period of nine months in total, and uh, I'd say the first uh, the first several months were pretty intense, and then towards the end, and I mentioned this in one of my other podcasts, I was getting some real crappy cocaine. I was falling asleep around ten o'clock at night, so I knew I wasn't really doing it, and I'm not going to relive the entire story again, um, because I did discuss this in Cocaine 101, um, but, you know, after quitting for a long time, I think it was about a month, I went out, and I bought, and I got uh, another bag, and um, I had sent my ex-wife uh, out, um, and I told you guys about this, I did the reports, I did some reports for work. Um, and then I ended up drinking and driving. You know, I went to a bar. My ex-wife came home. My buddy was at the house. I left the house. I went to a bar. Um, I had actually run out of cocaine, so I remember searching for cocaine at that bar by myself. Um, and I, 
actually bought cocaine that night. Well, I tried to anyway, and I gave somebody some money, and I remember that the, the guy who I had purchased from, he wouldn't give me the cocaine. He kept saying to me, I'll give it to you in a little while, and he was trying to steal my money, and thankfully my friend, who was with my ex-wife at the time, waiting for me at home, he had walked into the bar to come and get me. He had found where I was, and uh, he got my money back for me, and he basically saved me from getting killed because everybody wanted to beat me up. Um, God only knows how I was acting. Um, so I drank a lot that evening. I drank a bottle of vodka. I drank a couple of bottles of wine. I did about two and a half grams of cocaine. And um, I went to bed. <laughs> Fought with my ex-wife, yelled at my friend, said they were sleeping together. Not that I, ca not that I cared. It didn't matter to me at all. Um, but I went to bed, and I woke up the next day. And for those of you who don't know what it feels like to wake up, forget about just waking up after a hangover, but waking up after doing cocaine or some kind of drug, um, you know, the depression. If you're not bipolar, you are going to at least cause bipolar-like symptoms without a doubt. You will turn yourself into somebody that is bipolar because the depression that comes over you the day after using those drugs, you know, you say to yourself, my God, what did I do? It wasn't worth it. So I woke up the next day, and of course I had to be at work, and my ex-wife was screaming at me saying, get your butt up, get your butt up, you got to be at work, and I wouldn't get out of bed, and I'm not getting out of bed, and I had a rough night, leave me alone. And... Um, we fought and we fought and she yelled at me and I yelled back and uh, Junior was actually home and uh, at the time I believe Junior was uh, still a little baby still a little baby um, but Sarah Lee was at a preschool at the time so she didn't see this Junior didn't, he wasn't old enough to know what was going on at all uh, so as me and my ex-wife were fighting um, I was just so depressed and so down that um, I actually ventured outside into my garage and closed the garage door and I was in my garage and uh, I took a ladder, climbed up the ladder and uh, tied a rope around my neck and I tried to hang myself. And thank goodness, my ex-wife, she swung the door open, garage door open, and she was able to take me down from the ladder and from the rope. And, um, and at that point, that is when I had met with my dad, and I mentioned this in Cocaine 101, reached out to my parents, who definitely were not the right people to go to, and we'll get into that during another, uh, God only knows what I'm going to call that episode. It certainly won't be parenting 101, I'll tell you that much. And i got to tell you, they didn't raise me in a bad way. They just did horrible, horrible things as parents to themselves. And they allowed me, <coughs> excuse me, they allowed me to see things that I should not have seen. If your recollection of your childhood includes you sitting in the backseat of a car, scared to death, as your father is swerving in and out of lanes and your mother is screaming at your father, so-and-so, 
Watch it. You have kids in the car. You're going to kill us all. You're drunk. You shouldn't be driving. And, and you're as a kid, you're watching your parents fight in the front seat and you're praying that your dad stays in the right lane or at least in his lane and doesn't swerve over and you're watching around you to see if other cars are next to you and you know this is what I remember as a young kid I remember this and um, but anyway you know I had no idea at the time that my parents were who they were I still didn't know and I believe guys I think I got to put you on pause. I'm going to do the math. Hold on. Okay. I came up with 29 years old, but I know that's wrong. I was about 28 years old, believe it or not. Um, 28 years old when this went down. So 28 years old. And I'm just starting to really recognize that I'm using drugs as, um, as a means of managing my moods. You know, all along I had no idea. I just dealt with it. But at 28 years old, I'm now realizing, you know, that my parents are who they are. But, you know, I didn't know yet. So, of course, my ex-wife called my parents over and I sat down with my dad. And, um, you know, they put me in a car and they took me to a hospital. Um, and I was immediately admitted. And I will tell you this right now. You walk into a hospital. And this is not me advising you and saying, you know, um, try to kill yourself at all just to get into a hospital. But I will tell you, I can't lie to you, that if you do go to a hospital and they know that there is some suicide attempt that was made or if that you're feeling suicidal, they will admit you. And they took one look at the burn ropes on, burn, burn marks on my, on my neck, you know, the rope burns, and they admitted me immediately. Um, and my God, was I an animal. Oh, I still remember they put me in a room and um, I started screaming, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And they brought me in a turkey sandwich. And they made the mistake of putting silverware in there with it. You know, it was plastic silverware, but what did I start to do? I started to take the silverware and I started to cut my wrists and cut. You know, I couldn't do any damage with it. But, you know, it was a, at this point in time, it was more about attention, I believe. I really don't know. I just wanted out of there. Um, I was banging my head against the wall. Um, and I, I remember them finally saying, all right, we got a bed for you. And they put me in a, in a uh, wheelchair. And I said, I don't want to be in an effing bed. I don't want to go to a bed. And I was so irate. And they stuck me with needles. And they knocked me out because I was just so, so confrontational. And I was trying to get out of the wheelchair. And they had to strap me down. And the next thing I knew, about a day and a half later, I woke up in my bed. And my ex-wife was sitting next to me. Um, and that was actually the only time she came to visit me. And I actually, when I woke up, I was no, in really no better condition than when I uh, was put out. Because when I saw her face, I, I started screaming and yelling. I wanted her out of there. Um, and, and she did. She left. And uh, I was hospitalized for 15 days. 15 days. And here's what I'll say about impatient. Um, impatient is a really good thing if you go in the right way. And what I mean by that, and, and take my word for it, when you go in and you're using drugs, it is not the right way to go in. you got to get the drugs. you got to take care of the drugs. And sometimes, unfortunately, in order to take care of the drugs, we got to take care of the illness first. Um, and it's very hard to do. 
Um, it usually doesn't work that way. For me, you know, in order for me to, to really fix my illness, I had to get clean and I had to get sober. Um, you know, when I got hospitalized that, that time, I was not clean, I was not sober, I was a relatively new drug addict. So when I was hospitalized, I, I was, they, they had to go based on the symptoms that I was displaying. And they saw me as an extremely depressed man. And they labeled me with bipolar too. And little did they know that the only reason why I had depression was because I was coming off cocaine. So they saw me in a depressed state based on how I was acting from drugs, abusing drugs. So while inpatient is a, is a very good way to go, to be monitored, to be watched, to be put on medication, when you go in and you're abusing drugs, unfortunately, it's very, very difficult for the doctors to get a good read on exactly how your moods are going to be. And then again, unfortunately, it's also very difficult because the maximum amount of time a lot of hospitals will allow, I know, at least in my hospital, it was 15 days. That was it. And if you weren't able to, do, you know, if if it took you longer than that, they had to put you in some kind of program. I don't even know what it was. I was released in 15 days, though. And here's what I'll tell you. I was incorrectly diagnosed during the time that I was there. And that's because I was a drug addict. Okay? Um, I was put on two different medications, both of which I thought were working. But because they take so long to actually work medications, the first medication that I was on was Lexapro. I was on a very low dose of Lexapro. I think it was 20 milligrams. I don't remember. And I was also on Abilify. And um, I never will forget the very last day when I was getting picked up from that hospital. I knew something wasn't right because the medicine was finally starting to take effect. And it wasn't doing the right thing because I remember bouncing up and down on my chair. And at first I thought, I said, all right, maybe I'm a little anxious because I haven't been at home. I'm going to see my children again. It's been two weeks that I've been locked away in this place. You know, I made great friends. I made great relationships, at least during the time that I was there. Um, you know, I didn't keep in touch with anybody. Um, but, you know, the two weeks or 15 days is not a long enough time to see exactly how an antidepressant that takes anywhere between four and six or four and eight weeks to really take full effect, it's not a long enough time to see how you're going to respond to medication. Now, in my case, the Abilify really sent me into a psychotic state of mind. It was not the right drug for me. So I remember bouncing up and down on my chair that very last day, and um, I was sitting on a chair. What I mean by bouncing up and down is I was leaning back on the chair and I just, I was bouncing off my calf muscles and, you know, bouncing and leaning back on the chair and bouncing and leaning back and, you know, I couldn't sit still. And, uh, you know, I got in the call with my ex-wife and we, we had my prescriptions, brand new prescriptions. And, you know, I said to her, I remember, I still remember the car ride and I said, I don't feel right. And, and she insisted that it was just my anxiety and that it was all new to me. Um, we drove through the, um, pharmacy to get my new medications and uh, at the time I was an independent contractor I had my own business and my medical coverage was not very good um, so I did not have good prescription coverage and let me tell you a, uh, a prescription of Cymbalta and Abilify I remember costing a little over $1,100 at the time 
just for one month's supply. <laughs> and I said, I don't know how the heck I'm going to do this. I, I really, I think it was $1,100 for the two of them. And I ended up laying it out, putting it on a credit card, and within two days, it had gotten so severe, my psychosis, you know, um, I mean, I was hallucinating, I was seeing things, and, you know, I, I have spoken to you guys a little bit about the voices that I hear. We'll get into that another time during the Psychosis 101 episode, but I am not a hallucinator. That is one thing. I do hear voices. I do have a narrator in my head. Um, it's not, uh, don't have any commands. There's been a couple of times that it's given me some commands. Um, most recently I was commanded not to go get my medication and I, um, I made a pact with the voice and I said, that is not the way that it's going to work. I'm getting my medication and I'm getting better. Um, but nevertheless, I went through some severe hallucination psychosis and I recall basically sitting on the floor in the living room in front of my children, hysterical crying, rocking back and forth, very, very similar to somebody who is, uh, believe it or not, diagnosed with autism, you know, uh, self-stimulatory behavior. A lot of times children and adults with autism will self-soothe by rocking back and forth. And I found myself unable to stop my body and all I did was rock back and forth. And I cried and I cried and I said, these medicines are not the correct medicines for me. Um, so I went to the doctor and I told him that it wasn't working. He took me off it and uh, put me on Depakote. And, uh, you know, that's, and uh, I talked to you guys a little bit of like, uh, about my dosages of medications. The unfortunate thing here is, guys, that, you know, during that period of time, I was still abusing drugs. I was still drinking. Um, you know, now, here's the, here's the good news. I was done with cocaine. I was hospitalized in January. Um, I was let out, and I was hospitalized. I was let out in January. Um, I came off the, uh, the Lexapro. I came off the Abilify. I was put on the Depakote, and the Depakote, was unfortunately making me extremely depressed. So what did I do? I reached for cocaine again. However, my last day of cocaine and my clean date of cocaine was actually February 24th of 2005, and I never touched it again. Um, now, <laughs> here's the interesting thing. And, you know, this is why it's so important that you choose... You know, we're all responsible for our own actions, obviously. Okay, I take full responsibility. But this is going to be discussed a little bit more in Opiates 101. I'll never forget that my one of my buddies had come over um, just to kind of visit, check in with me. And um, he, uh, you know, he said, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're not doing the cocaine anymore. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, you know, I'm really struggling. You know, I'm on this medication and trying to stay clean and, you know, um, just not working. And he said, you know, maybe you should try a Vicodin. That was his advice. And I said, I don't even know what a Vicodin is. I don't know what you're talking about because you don't know what a Vicodin is because you probably have them in the house. Unbeknownst to me, my friend led me to my own cabinet. And for those of you, I mean, obviously he's been through my cabinets before, okay, for those of you who have been uh, abused drugs in the past, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You uh, 
will rummage through cabinets if you are a drug addict. Um, and, and nevertheless, he knew where my Vicodins were. And I had absolutely no idea that I had Vicodins in my house. And he said, do me a favor. He said, chew on these. Chew. That was his word. He goes, chew on these. When I said, chew? Said, what does that even mean? I said, these are, this is when I had dental work back from two years ago. They're expired or whatever. He said, chew on them and tell me how you feel. And, you know, maybe they'll help. He goes, you know, don't, don't go crazy. Just chew on them. And, you know, I said, okay. He goes, just take one. I said, well, all right, that's what I'll do. So the mind of an addict, he takes one. I take, He leaves. I put one. I chew it like he tells me to. And it starts to feel pretty good. And the mind of an addict, what do they do? Takes a second one. Starts to chew it. Now I find myself calling my buddy and I'm saying, uh, you know, this feels really good, but I'm extremely itchy. What is this itch? He said, well, you shouldn't be itchy if you only took one. I said, no, I took two. I told you not to take two. I told you just to take one. That's what happens, but it's normal. And uh, from that point on, you know, I abused opiates for a period of six months, um, on and off, six months. And all the while I was on medication, that large combination of medication, using opiates, okay? Um, even when I had quit opiates, you know, my medication management was never going to be right because during uh, throughout the entire process of my medication management, even though I was not drinking, I was smoking marijuana every single day of my life. So I have no idea what works, what doesn't work, who knows. The one thing that I do know is at one point in my life, I finally had got on the correct regimen of medication. I have discussed this many times with, before, the Lamictal and the Wellbutrin. It was, a, it was the magic combination, and then unfortunately, somebody had told me to, uh, you know, come off my medication. So, that's that. You know, that was my uh, very, very first suicide attempt, and um, we're not going to discuss anymore about suicide at all. I'd like to, I'd like to just stop the talk about suicide there. But again, I want to let everybody know that if any time comes where you are, you know, um, thinking about suicide or contemplating suicide, man, this is a real, real serious thing. It means you're not well. It means that, you know, whether you're, you're diagnosed with, you know, a depressive disorder, you know, depression, or you are somebody who lives with bipolar disorder and you're not medicated, um, or you're, you know, you know, you're trying to manage your own moods. You know, this is, suicide is an extremely, extremely serious thing. Um, so, listen, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, it, it's, it's just an absolute pleasure, it really is, talking to you guys. I, I hope this helps. I hope you're enjoying the journey that we are taking together. I'm going to continue keeping you guys posted every single day. Not every single day, every other day. Just a couple times a week. I think my podcast description now says I'm a two-time-a-weeker. Let's go with that. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you for listening.